You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, God is good. 41 years ago today, I got born again. Amen. 41 years ago today. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. What that means is, is right about this time, it was about 1230 that I, uh, that I fell on my knees and trusted Christ. I was born the first time, April the 1st, 1965, and I was born again September the 1st, 1978. And I, I tell you, I, I'm so thankful for that second birth. In fact, I'm more thankful for the second one than I am for the first one. Uh, were it not for the second one, I, I, I don't know that I'd want even the first one to happen. I'm so grateful I got saved. All right, if you need to worship God, raise your hand, and then open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. All right. Well, I talked fast, and you listened fast. Thank you, and I appreciate it so much. I know I loved seeing the words on the screen today, so thank you. That was great, and uh, I'm excited about the next few moments together. Galatians 6 and verse 1, a two-week series. Now, before I read this passage, I want to say a couple of things, all right? Here we go. First of all, I want to say that this passage means a lot to me. It really does. I say that with some emphasis because I want it to mean a lot to you. It's rooted, or I could say, I've rooted a lot of my life in this scripture. And I would say that as a word of testimony. So please listen to the way that I said that I've rooted, meaning I've dug deep into this truth. This is a way of life for me. This is a principle that God has that is unwavering. And I believe over the next two weeks, as we focus our lives on this passage, specifically two verses, and as we focus on all of the implications it has in our lives, that it can make a huge difference as we live the Christian life with what time we have left and in our future. So let's begin Galatians 6. If it's okay, I'd like to read verses 1 through 9, though we are focusing on two passages mainly, three passages. Verse 1, brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I I tell you, when John gave that testimony, I thought about my passage. As John said, it's not about him, it's about God. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing. I would ask for you to raise your hand if you think you're something. I hope nobody would raise their hands. Can you imagine that? How do you think you're something? You really think you're just awesome. You're great. You're amazing. Really, honestly, if we were being truthful and honest, not even humble, to be honest. It, it shouldn't even be that we were being humble, just honest. No one would raise their hands. Because anyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing, the Bible says he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. If you were paying attention, you probably saw that there was another passage we just read that said, bear one another's burdens. And then just a few verses later, it says to bear your own load. So which one is it? Well, it's both. I mean, if you think with me for just a minute, there are many times when we have the blessed privilege of someone coming alongside us and helping us to bear our burdens. And then there are other times when we're left to bear that burden alone. It'll make more sense. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. That's probably the pastor's favorite verse. <laughs> little laughter there, right? Think about it. Let the one who has taught that you share All good things with the one who teaches. So I'm expecting some candy after church. Amen. All right. Share. I love it. Do not be deceived. Here's our text. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And next week we'll talk about this verse. And let us not grow weary of doing good. 
For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Wow. What exactly do these verses mean? And what are their implications for our life, for my life personally? Well, we got a two-week sermon series coming straight, straight to you. Harvesting and planting. Or, got that backwards, planting and harvesting. So pay close attention. Let's break the text down before we get into these three laws of the harvest today of the seven that we're going to talk about. Let's just kind of study together, shall we? First of all, let's jump into that statement, do not be deceived or be not deceived. What is deception? For just a moment, it might be good for us to understand deception. Listen, people too often live their lives like the things that happen to them are just some random thing. It's kind of like we live our lives way too often using words like, man, that was lucky, or you just really had some bad luck. We find ourselves saying way too often things like this. Where'd that come from? Well, that came out of nowhere. What a bummer. Man, I've just, things haven't really gone good lately for me. I've just had some bad luck. For just a moment, I, I want to ask you a question and And think about this for just a... What is luck? In the life of a Christian, let me tell you, just make this abundantly clear. Luck is nothing. There is no such thing as luck. We serve a God who is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. Amen. And that is awesome. That is huge to us as believers. Nothing is by chance. Everything that happens is according to the principles that God has established. This is so important for us to understand the power and the truth of God's word because it is the truth that sets us free. Not luck, the truth. Everything that happens is according to God's principles. Be not deceived. Do not be led astray. Basically, Scripture is teaching us to not be deceived into thinking that the hard things and the painful things and the difficult things that happen to you are just random things. Rather, figure this out, that the thing that happened to you and me are the natural outflow of the choices that we have made. So important for us to understand. Now, we wish this wasn't true. We really do. I mean, this is something that, honestly, life would be a lot easier. It really would if I could just blame my parents. It would be so much easier if I could just blame my my past or blame my boss or blame my neighbor or blame my circumstances or just blame whatever instead of having to take responsibility myself. However, the scripture says to be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Someone has said life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% how you deal with it. So I've got to be very, very careful and, and, and I must be on top of the choices that I'm making because my choices about how I handle things. In other words, if, I, if, I, if I'm doing negative things, I'm going to get, I'm going to reap negative results. If I'm making good choices, I'm going to harvest at some point Maybe down the road, patiently waiting for those good choices to germinate, to harvest. So why should I not be deceived? Well, the Bible says it in the verse. Be not deceived. Why? God is not mocked. We should be not deceived. And here's the reason. Don't forget this. God's word says, please don't forget this. God is not mocked. Mocked is the idea of making a fool of someone. Paul's point is this, that no one will ever make God look like an idiot. It won't happen. Ever. Let me emphasize for my God, my great, perfect, almighty, righteous God, no one will ever make him look like an idiot. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God has never been embarrassed. God has never said, oh, what was that all about? Oh my goodness, a hurricane. 
This one got past me. Oh, another mass shooting in Texas. Oh, where, where were the angels there? I, don't, I, I thought I told them to, I don't get it. I'm so sorry. Those words never come out of God's mouth. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. As we move on in that text, it then says, whatever a man sows. So just for a moment, the word sows, a key word in the passage, it's found 52 times in Scripture. It's a very important word. It's the idea of a person taking a bag of seed and and walking into a field and planting seed. Whatever a person plants, that is exactly what they're going to harvest. Whatever a person sows, that is what they will, what? Reap. This is a principle established by God, and it begs this question this morning as we introduce this short series. Here's the question. What are you planting? What have you planted this week, this past week, just the last seven days? What have you planted in your marriage? What are you planting in your children? Here's a good question with our Commitment Sunday next week. What are you planting in your finances? What are you planting in your relationships? What are you planting in your walk with God? Because whatever you plant, you harvest. Let me ask a question. How many people, just by chance in the whole auditorium, you have somebody in your family in farming? Would you raise your hand? You've got somebody. It could be a distant relative, but somebody in your family farming. Wow, great. I love it. So we've got quite a few this morning that have somebody in their family in farming. In the earlier service, uh, I think we just had like a small handful of folks that raised their hands, but the application is still there and I want to give it. Now I'm going to do something just for a moment for a couple of reasons that I'll tell you after I do it. But I've got this really short two minute and 34 second generic video I want to show you. And I'll tell you why in just a minute, but it's somewhat generic, but I, I like it. It's cool. It's just this really down-to-earth guy that's just talking about his farm and, and what he's planting and, and, and how he does it. It's just really neat, really generic, but I want to show it to you. Trust me, I've got an application. So just enjoy a good old farmer here for just a couple of minutes. We start planting the crops generally as soon as we can get what they call get on the ground, which means as soon as there's no frost in the ground, the snow's all melted. Can't plant in the snow very well. But normally speaking, we start as soon as we can with peas because they're a very, a crop that enjoys cold weather actually at planting time. Then we move into the crops that are a little more sensitive, so you've got to wait for it to warm up a bit. Potatoes, cabbage, uh, our bean crops, sweet corn, things like that, where you really want it to, the weather to be sort of what you'd call a nice spring weather in order to plant those crops. The reason being because they're all from a seed other than potatoes, which is from a piece of a potato cut in quarters generally. But the seed needs some warmth in order to do a process called germination, which allows it to start growing. So you need some moisture, you need a little bit of soil heat. They've got to have that that warmth to grow. Now the cabbage I mentioned grows from seed, but we actually grow them first into a plant what we call a transplant. They're actually grown in a greenhouse. So it'd be just like the plants you might grow in your backyard in the, in the home family garden, only on a much bigger scale. We have 20 acres behind me here of cabbage. That's a lot of cabbage. We grow asparagus, that's our first crop of the year. Asparagus is a perennial crop, which means we plant it and it's there for 10, 15, 20 years if I look after it properly. So when I say we're harvesting asparagus, that's a six-week process. The second crop we move right into is strawberries. Then we move into summer beans. We then move into sweet corn. And then what we call early or new potatoes. Then we move into, uh, once we get past Labor Day, then we move into what we call our fall harvest crops, which would be storage potatoes, which we'll load into storage. And then we finish the season up in the fields with cabbage that we have out right behind me here, which is all winter storage cabbage. And we market it throughout the winter months. Many of the crops we grow, we're harvesting over a period of, of certainly weeks, if not months. 
Now, why did I show that video? Well, first of all, I hope my preaching is more exciting than the video. Right? <laughs> I was looking for a short video. I just wanted, I, I felt led as I was preparing these messages over the past few weeks to give some sort of an example. And I showed it for two reasons. One, because I wanted you to see how cool the screen was. But the second reason I showed that video is because of this. The important thing about this passage regarding sowing and reaping is not to get the farming thing. Aren't you glad? Only a few people even raised their hands that they had any knowledge of a farmer being in their family. I don't know much about farming or, or planting. I don't really know a lot about it, but that's okay because that's not the point of the text. But do you get the application to yourself and to your family about planting and harvesting. It's not so that you can become a farmer like we just saw. So to illustrate this week, right? Or actually like three weeks ago, I'm preparing the next sermon series and I, I text Ken and our, our media graphic guy and I said, look, I'm, I work on some stuff. I'm doing planting and harvesting. I'm figuring out how long it's gonna be. It's probably gonna be short. I'm giving him a little insight. He's starting to work on things really like a month ago. And I'm doing devotions every day. And in the middle of my study, I, I have a devotion out of nowhere on Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And it's almost as if God does this with every single series I preach. There's some kind of a God thing that happens that says, hey, I just want to let you know you're doing the right thing. And I want to just illustrate with a two-minute devotional here that God gave me during my study Galatians 6, 7, and 10, as we begin to make the implication to our lives, Paul explains that deception is a very real possibility that God's people must continually guard against because deception results in the mocking of God. People who are deceived commonly fail to live according to the principle of sowing and reaping that God has woven into creation. One of the basic truths of botany is that if you sow, plant a seed, in time you will reap, harvest a crop that corresponds with the seed that was sown. For a Christian, there are only two seeds that they can sow, namely the sinful passions and desires of the flesh and the righteous passions and desires of the spirit. We'll see that in a moment. As they continually sow either of these seeds, deception may set in. Why? because they do not see any immediate benefit for sowing from the spirit or any immediate judgment for sowing from the flesh. But eventually a harvest of either life or death comes from the seed sown. The deception that sowing from the flesh does not cause a harvest of sin and death is commonly seen in the lives of people who are shocked when they awaken one day to see that sin has blossomed throughout their life. This is because they weren't attentive. Thus the sermon series. They weren't attentive to the law of sowing and reaping. Examples would include maybe a nagging wife who's astonished when the husband files for divorce. Or married men who flirt with other women and seemed shocked when they're in an adulterous affair. Gluttons who are astonished when their doctor gives them an annual gives them their annual physical or drunkards who are astonished when they are fired from their jobs. Anyone who evaluates how they sow their time, their money, their energy, and their words each day is confronted with the fact that they are sowing from a source, God or sin, and reaping a harvest, life or death. But this simple fact is often overlooked because of the power of deception. Deception from the father of all lives. And so we come today to this amazing principle. We're going to look at three of the seven laws of the harvest. What I've just done is laid a foundation for the next 20 or 25 minutes as I conclude the message. And we continue next week. And I pray you'll be back and bring someone with you. And I want to say this in the beginning of my message that I am not speaking at all from a calloused heart. Oh, there was a day when I probably would have. Oh, in my younger days, that self-righteousness of a, that can sneak into the life of a pastor and he preaches a message like this that contains a warning. Oh, there's many things this message contains that are good. <clears throat> many things that will encourage you in just a moment. But because there's a warning involved, I want you to know that I... Speak it from a very humble, broken heart. 
a broken heart for consequences of my own decisions, a broken heart for times when I was not sowing good seed in my life, in my family, in my finances, and things that I mentioned earlier. And I realize that sometimes we can sit through a message like this and it can be hard to listen to it because of things that we've done or situations we've had. But please know this, that as you hear this message, it's coming from a compassionate, loving pastor who just wants us, all of us, to understand the laws of sowing and reaping God's principles. Number one, are you ready? We harvest only what is planted. We harvest only what is planted. It seems so obvious. In fact, here's what everybody should be thinking right now. We pay you for this? This is what you got for us, preacher. That you harvest what you... Duh! And yet we seem so surprised. And it should be no surprise at all about the things that we are harvesting that we've planted. But what about circumstances beyond our control? You know, oftentimes that's kind of what we want to fall back on is the the, the idea of, well, I've just kind of had bad luck and those are just some circumstances. Well, let's do this for just a moment to clearly understand the passage. Let's define circumstances. Let's get a clear definition of circumstances. Number one, here it is in your notes. Events beyond your control resulting from forces or influences that you did not cause and cannot change. That is a circumstance. Let's read it again and meditate for just a moment as we've written this down. Events beyond our control resulting from forces or influences that you did not cause and you cannot change. So here's the question. How many circumstances that happen to us are really circumstances. We all have trials and we know that. But this message is not about trials. Circumstances. Maybe sometimes a health, a healthy, a health situation, a health diagnosis, a health crisis. Yes, I agree. It could be beyond our control that something came into our life with regarding health. But many times medical studies prove that we dictate what our health is like much more than we want to admit, that what we eat, lack of exercise, those types of things. But I will admit that sometimes there could be circumstances involved in a health crisis. Let's give another example. Could it be that maybe a financial crisis was no fault of our own? Maybe we lost our job and it was nothing we did to really cause that. It was beyond our control or Uh, the stock market crash. I mean, there's things that happen that could place us in a financial crisis. I agree. And I think that could happen. But just very humbly allow me to suggest that that's not true nearly as often as those of us in a financial crisis would like to say that it's true. It's not always true. Maybe sometimes. Is it circumstance or is it another word we need to define? Consequence. Consequence. And so let's get a clear definition of of consequence. Here it is on the screen. Resulting wholly or in part. Now it's very important that I would include both of those. Sometimes it could be just all our fault. But let's just say wholly or in part for me. Things I've done. Things I've said. Places I've gone, priorities I've pursued, resolutions I've neglected, choices that I have made. That is a consequence. Now remember, we've already discussed, I'll repeat, we harvest only what has been planted. And we need to be aware that's God's principle. And let's just for a moment, let's look at some other scripture just to give some more support. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6? It teaches that. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But the one who sows bountifully, diligently, he will in time reap bountifully. Another scripture that's very clear is Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits 
lacks sense. Scripture is so clear. And so, consequence from the things and decisions and places and things we've planted in our lives are often what we're going to reap, good or bad. I'd like to take just a moment as a result of all these mass shootings, more hurricanes and tornadoes and natural disasters and things that are striking fear into the hearts of Americans. I'd like to address that with an illustration for just a moment. Let me give you an illustration that regards our country. A book was written 200 years ago by Edward Gibbons entitled, The Reasons for the Fall of the Great Roman Empire. He wrote this book. It became a very famous book. I I would not be surprised if someone has not either read this book or has this book in their library and or has had this book as a textbook. Whatever happened in this incredible Roman Empire, this powerful nation that had the strongest everything, I mean, the strongest military, the strongest wealth, the, the strongest nation in the world, the Roman Empire, what caused it to come crashing down? Well, Edward, Edward Gibbons, 200 years ago, wrote a book and gave reasons as to why. I have five of them to give you today, and it's hard not to think about America. Number one, he said 200 years ago, the fall of the Roman Empire was due to the rapid increase of divorce. The undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Number two, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public money for free bread and pleasure and entertainment. Today, so many as NFL starts and college football starts, many will choose to stay at their televisions to see if the money they, the wagers they placed on those games will pay off. I thank God for Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. Amen. My pleasure. Hallelujah. Very few establishments have any kind of fear of God anymore when it comes to God's day. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure over church. The building of gigantic armament when the real army was within the decadence of their own people. Number five, the decay of religion, faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to warn and guide the people from the pulpits. Wow. I read these things that were written 200 years ago as reasons why that Roman Empire fell, and I just give those as suggestions. Our nation is... Under judgment. So much of what is happening is not circumstances. It's consequences. And today we live in a country where we think we can get away with everything and that God can be mocked and made a fool of. And do you believe a nation can live like it wants to live and act like it wants to act? And somehow God's going to say... You're the great America. You're an exception. You're Americans. So you're better than every other country in the world. And so you don't have to abide by that. It's not true. God doesn't have any favorites. And this universe, including America, operates according to established principles in God's word. And it's getting very quiet in here. But I wish it wouldn't because what I just said is truth. Amen. And so I say that almost to calm us a little bit, to understand that we need to be praying and asking God. And we, my friends, and I didn't say this in the first service, so I don't want to chase a rabbit trail. I'm usually pretty good about not doing that, and I don't want to do it. But I will say this, let's repent for the sins of our nation, personal, corporate, as a nation, everything, because our nation needs God. We harvest only what is planted. I've given our nation as an example, but what about a biblical example? How about Samson? Samson, you know, this guy was handsome, right? Tall, Judges chapter 16, check him out. Man, this was one incredible dude. I mean, he was gifted. He was strong. He was even called by God. Wow. 
And then you read about that and a few pages later, a few paragraphs later, honestly, you could just flip the page and all of a sudden he's morally collapsed. He has become a slave. His eyes have been plucked out of his head and within just a few verses, he's dead. And this was not bad luck. This was the consequences of Samson every day planting seeds and harvesting the results of the choices he made. So in what ways might we be ignoring these principles? Could it be that we're ignoring these principles in our family? You're going to harvest that. Are we ignoring these principles in our finances? There's a harvest coming. Are we ignoring the principles of planting and harvesting in our relationships, in our walk with God, in in our family? Remember, we harvest only what we plant. Number two, we harvest the same in kind that we've planted. The same in kind. Now, again, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, duh. I mean, preacher, we knew that, okay? I know you probably knew that, but it seems as if that which is so obvious is ignored. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. I want you to notice that word, whatever. I've got it big and loud on the screen. Whatever. Let's go back to that little silly farming video, right? I mean, was it quite obvious that if they sowed corn, they reaped corn? And if they sold asparagus, they reaped asparagus? In other words, the farmer doesn't plant corn and expect to harvest asparagus. Can I get an amen? Or can I get a duh? Yeah. I'm good with that. Because it should be just as obvious to you that what you plant in your marriage, you are harvesting now. What you plant in your finances, you are harvesting. You see, it's not about the corn asparagus thing. It's about your life. It's about your situation. It's about your family. It's about your relationships. That's what it's about. That's what God's teaching here. And sometimes I find myself when I'm talking and, and helping marriages grow, and I think about even as I, my wife and I both work through our marriage, I hear things like, well, we've just grown apart. And with a very compassionate heart, I say, you're harvesting. Well, we just don't feel the same way we used to. True. You're harvesting. You're harvesting. I say that sincerely and lovingly. We'll go to more, some, some more scripture because scripture is really what makes the point. Galatians 6, 8. It makes this statement, for the one who sows to his own flesh. Question, what is flesh? What is flesh? Someone has said, well, in order to find out what flesh is, take the word and remove the H. And when you remove the H, reverse it. You get your answer. It's self. Flesh is self. I want what I want. And that's all there is to it. Thanks, but no thanks. Self. And then the Bible goes on to say this awful word. It's awful. I hate this word. It's in the verse that we just had on the screen. We'll put it back up there. It says... Put it back up there, my brother. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap. Here it is. Corruption. Corruption. Oh, what an awful word. Corruption means this. Death now and eternal death later. Hell on earth now and hell forever later. Corruption. It's an awful word. It's in scripture. It's there. It's got to be addressed if we're going to be honest and if we're going to give the whole counsel of God. That's what it's teaching. But can I give you some good news? Because in that very same verse, the scripture is so honest and clear that it does not have to be bad news. It can be good news. Because though you may sow the flesh, yes, but if you sow from the spirit, you will from the spirit reap eternal life. In other words, an abundant life now and eternal life later. Hallelujah. The Lamb of God who took my place. Why am I worshiping this morning? Because I choose to worship. 
I choose to worship a God who's ransomed my soul, saved my soul, rescued me from myself, and become my Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. And He needs to be our Lord every day of our lives. Oh, listen, what a promise, what a promise, what a promise. Someone here today may be saying, well, what about all the bad choices I've made? I got some good news. Start planting good choices over the bad choices. Oh, yeah. You say, but I've been planting some bad choices for a while. Just change right now. Let's, you, it's up to you. The choice is up to you. Start planting good choices, good things. Because if you plant good choices over your bad choices, you will begin in time. Be patient. In due season, you will reap if you... Faint not. If you don't give up, don't give up. You're still alive. Don't give up. Plant good things. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Not in failing to give judgment where it is deserved. And God is not mocked when it comes to giving blessing where it is called for because of obedience to God. He's not mocked either way. He will. He will give blessing if you're obedient. I'm thinking of our high school and college students. You know, I'm 54 years old and I still feel young. Some would say, man, I, I, I still work like I'm planted the church 27 years ago. I'm twice my age since I planted the church. Still got a lot of energy, a lot of less hair. Yeah. I guess I'm not as cool as I used to be, right? Got a few things I lack in, but I'm still a pretty hard worker, still get with it. But I'm getting older. The older I get, it seems like the more I'm in harvest time. Oh, I'm still planting. Still planting seeds. I've got grandkids now. Kind of cool. So I'm planting seeds in their lives so that they'll have a godly heritage. And I want them to be able to look to Papa and Nana in a way that they would be able to love God by what we've planted in their lives. So I've st- I'm still planting, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of harvesting too. Seems like the older you get, the more you harvest, and the younger you are, the least, the, le- the least you harvest, you're planting. So I've been under really some serious concern and conviction about being honest with our young people. And parents, I say this for you. If you are a high schooler, if you're in college, if you're in the Ignite ministry, a young adult... You plant character, you plant perseverance, you plant hard work, you plant righteous living, and you can look forward to a great harvest. But if you plant rebellion and party time and immorality and liquor and drugs, get ready for heartache because it's coming. It's coming. That's not even mean. It's just honesty. A loving warning. Someone says, well, you know, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm getting away with it. Well, let's look at the next thought. Number three, we harvest in a different season than we plant. If we harvest in a different season than we plant, could it be that you might think you're getting away with it? The season of harvesting just has not come yet. I say again, are you ready for these Very incredible words. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking you're getting away with it. Well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm having sex with my girlfriend. I mean, it's, my parents don't know about it, but it's, it's all good. Nobody knows about it. Harvest time's coming. I'm slipping booze. They they don't really know. I mean, somebody's kind of buying it for me right now and can't wait till I'm 21 and get it myself. But I mean, it's all good, right? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm good. You're not getting away with it. You're going to harvest what you plant. Some other scriptures that help us to understand this are Psalms chapter 9 and verse 16, where the scripture says that the Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment, and the wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. And let me put it more practically through the book of Proverbs, which is my favorite. It says in Proverbs, in chapter number 26 and verse 27, whoever digs a pit, oh, yeah, I get this. I, 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 I understand this, preacher. So what happens when you dig a pit? You fall into it. It's more Arkansas right here, right? 
and a stone will come back to him who starts it rolling. You know, sometimes I think we just, we just want to make truth complicated and Scripture says, no, it's really not all that hard to understand. Usually you do more planting when you're young and you do more harvesting when you're old. But never is it more true than when someone is on their deathbed. Recently I've been reading a book entitled Last Words of Saints and Sinners. Wow. It's been around for a long time. It's somewhat of a sobering book. It's penetrating. As you read the last words of hundreds of those who had never trusted Christ and died in their sins. And I'm going to read some of those words to you. They're, they're really sobering and convicting. Then I'll read to you, in contrast, those at the end of their lives who harvested a different, different ending. Sir Thomas Scott said it like this, Until this moment I thought there was neither a God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both, and I'm doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. And he died. A famous infidel by the name of Adams cried out these last final words. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm damned, damned, damned forever. It was Charles IX who ordered the great massacre that took place in St. Bartholomew's Day. And, and the book didn't say how many were killed. So I was curious, since it was a massacre, how many died and why they died. And so I just kind of, you know how you can find things out, right? And I looked it up and found out that that massacre was 15,000 people who were killed for one reason. You ready for the reason? They said they believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And he killed 15,000 of them. And here were his last words before he died. What blood? What murders? I know not where I am. How will this end? What shall I do? I'm lost forever. And I know it. Voltaire on his deathbed cried out, Oh Christ, oh Jesus, I must die abandoned by God and man. His condition had become so frightening that his infidel associates were afraid to approach his bedside. He said to his doctor, I'm abandoned by God and man. I'll give, I'll give you half what I'm worth if you will give me six months of life. The doctor replied, you won't even live six weeks. Voltaire answered, then I shall go to hell. Soon after he was gone, and he, as, he, as he passed, his nurse made this statement. For all the wealth of Europe, I would never see another infidel die. Thomas Paine was a noted infidel, brazen in his attacks on God and the Bible. Yet when death came, his boldness was gone. And he pleaded, stay with me, stay with me for God's sake. It's hell to be alone. I cannot bear to be alone. If ever the devil had an agent, it had to be me. Now let's contrast that with the harvest of those who gave their life for Christ. I'll just read a few without giving you their names in the beginning. Here's one. The conflict is over and past. I begin to feel an unshakable fullness of love, an unspeakable fullness of love and peace divine. I lay my head on my pillow and I'm going home. John Owen said, I'm going to go be with him whom my soul loveth, or rather who has loved me with an everlasting love, which is the sole ground of my consolation. Here's another. If this is dying, it's the most pleasant thing imaginable. Here's a minister that died. Here's what he said. I know I'm dying, but my deathbed is a bed of roses. I have no thorns planted upon my dying pillow, for heaven has already begun. Missionary added Aaron Judson. I'm not tired of my work, neither am I tired of the world. Yet when Christ calls me home, I'll go with gladness just like a boy bounding away from school. John Wesley said the best of all, God is with us. So farewell. His brother Charles Wesley said this, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied, satisfied. R.G. Lee, that great Baptist preacher said, I see heaven. Oh, I didn't do it justice. I see Jesus and I didn't do him justice either. And a few hours before Dwight L. Moody died, he caught a glimpse of glory and said, this is my triumph. This is my coronation day. And it is glorious. Wow. What a contrast. Church, this morning, may we understand that this is the law of sowing and reaping, of planting, of harvesting. Now, let's get practical for just a minute in conclusion. I want you to write down five words. And these five words are going to be very important words as you begin to think about this truth. And next Sunday, 
Here's some words to consider for the next seven days before we come back. As you start to harvest, will you consider these words? The word number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Because what I'm seeing in so many lives of even Christians is they are beginning to harvest bitterness. Bitterness is beginning to control them and beginning to become something in their lives that is keeping them from reaching their full potential because they've been harvesting or rather planting unforgiveness. And I want to say in that little line next to forgiveness, you might want to write these words, I need to forgive like Christ has forgiven me. Move on. Choose to forgive. It's an important choice. Start planting that. It's amazing. Word number two, love. 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 Plant love. You before me. You before me. Look at your spouse and then love her like Christ loved the church. Ladies, you say, well, it's just hard to love my husband. It may be hard, but can I, can, I, can I encourage you to find out what his love language is and love him with his love language. It'll change everything. Love. Start planting love. Word number three, time. What will you do with your time today? What's your afternoon look like? What are you planning on doing? Why not go home and spend some time with family and plant some seeds into your children and your grandchildren's lives and and maybe watch a little less television today and and maybe cut the nap back from two hours to an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm sorry, I I know that breaks your heart. (laughs) For me, cut your nap time from 15 to 5 and invest a little time in your family. What are you going to do today? What's your, what's your plans? Time. That's a key word. In deciding how you're going to plant and harvest later, a big part of this is the word time. Number four, attitude. It's a huge word. No one chooses my attitude for me. I choose it. And I gave you those lines just to write things down that you might be thinking of. But I believe attitude is a choice. I made a choice when I woke up this morning as to what kind of attitude I was going to have. And I want to maintain that attitude. Though there's things that come against it, to destroy it, to discourage me, I've got to try my best to remember that I choose how I, how I live my life. How I, I choose joy. I choose joy. I, I, I choose to look at what God has done, the blessings of God. What I have, not what I don't have. Number five, the most important word of all. You ready for it? Christ. Christ. All who know him will worship him fervently for all eternity. And as we were showed in our worship scriptures this morning, which by the way, aren't you glad we're reading scripture in the worship time? And as we read the scripture and we come to find this morning that what Christ sowed for us, his death, his blood on that cross, he sowed a life so that we might be able to live forever. And as we think of Christ and that all-important decision to accept him as our savior, he begins this morning potentially to plant a little mustard seed of faith in the heart of an unbeliever today. And you can make the choice today to make him your Lord and your savior. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. Worship him. Number one, choose to worship him. Choose to worship him. And then after you worship him a while, choose to walk with him. Get his word, read his, read the Bible, pray. It's a great thing just to walk with him and talk with him and experience him on a daily basis and know of his love and turn on 90.1 or whatever that other one is in the car. And just, have you ever done that? Just driving down the road and listening to worship music and you start crying in your car. Anybody like that? Amen. Anybody ever come to church and start worshiping and crying in church? Amen. Me too. Amen. Just worship him and then, and then walk with him and then work for him. Get busy, get busy for God. That's exciting. When I say get busy for God, I know the word busy is not our favorite word anymore. And I get that and I'm, I'm good. But you know what I mean. Put something on your schedule that has to do with serving God. Whether it's in the nursery or as a, and by the way, we're looking now, uh, Brother Justin Shalo, would you raise your hand, Justin, for a moment? I've asked Justin right there to help us to find a few more men, good men, that might be concerned enough about securing our church to join our security team. 
We need about five or six more men, and Justin's kind of my recruiter. And so if you want to see him, we're looking for some men that might say, hey, at the 9 o'clock or the 1045, I would love to be a part of helping. We live in days where we can't neglect that for the sake of our kids. Amen. And you and our congregation. And so believe it or not, as we speak, we're taking more precautions as a church family. What's going on outside there, not come inside here. And I say all that not in a way of lack of faith. I'm just saying that in a way that that makes sense. And, and, and churches are making it known that there needs to be more attention given to that. So I, I just taken a free commercial to say that you can serve God in, on security. You can serve God in the nursery, in the children's ministry. You can serve him by yesterday. There was a small group out here at eight o'clock mowing the lawns. It was bless my heart to see a small group. Scott Mercer's small group out weed eating and mowing and, 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 and clipping weeds. I thought, man, I love this church. They're sowing. They're sowing. They're sowing seeds of faithfulness. They're sowing seeds of discipleship. They're sowing seeds of love for the church, the house of God. Every gift you give next week for recommitment or commitment Sunday, it's a seed. It's a seed. Listen, don't come with an attitude, oh, okay, here we go. I guess I've you know, got to throw the card in. Honey, what do you think? Two cents? Let's go two cents. It's something. Okay, thank you. But if you got that attitude, keep your two cents. It's not, it's not, we're not looking for grouchy givers. We're looking for givers. I can't wait to get there. Honey, it's going to be awesome. Hey, what did God tell you to give? What did God tell you to give? I can't wait to give it. It's going to be amazing. God's going to do great things. You know what next Sunday's all about? Planting. That's what it's about. It's about planting. You say, I thought it was about speakers and screens and, you know, chairs. Ah. Secondary. Honestly, secondary. The screen, what do we turn it on a couple hours a week? You know what I'm excited about? How God is going to honor our giving. Bless our giving. Amen. So I say this not from a calloused heart, from a heart of love and excitement that this principle can change your life forever. It can change how you live from here on. Don't look to your past. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. What about all my bad choices? Forget them. Press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 14. Press on. Don't worry about the past. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Start planting now. But, but I won't see the results right away. You're right. It's another season. But don't worry. Fall's coming. It's coming. I know winter's kind of tough. Spring's harvest, uh, plant, plant seeds, right? Summertime, whew, got to make sure the harvest, the, the, rather the, uh, yeah, the harvest doesn't get ruined. And then isn't it the fall that you mainly harvest for the rest? Kind of, I think. I don't know much about it. You do, because I get all your cucumbers. Raz Pittman's got the best cucumbers you'd ever eat. Next to Cliff Kaufman, I'm sorry. Cliff, you got number one. Let's, let's obey this truth. I pray God will change our lives. If you're not saved today, come. Come to the cross of Christ. Receive him as your Savior. Father, I love you.